Hello everyone. Thanks for tuning in. I know I've been off for a few weeks, but I was just taking care of things for school and focusing a bit on my mental health, celebrating my birthday, and I hope that all of you guys have been enjoying the start to spring. I really appreciate all of my listeners, and I would also really appreciate if you could go to the Apple Podcast app and leave a review and written commentary on how you feel about the podcast, whether you like it, whether you hate it, and all the feedback is super helpful for me, and it also allows other listeners who come across the podcast to find out if it's the type of material and content that they would like to consume. So if everybody could do that, also please be sure to follow at Breathe for Kalani, and we will be having a march to celebrate Kalani's life on her birthday, April 21st, 2021 at 5 p.m. in Renton at North Benson Urgent Care, which is part of Valley Medical Center. Thank you. If you listen, we are glisten, no more friction, take a seat. We are driven with ambition, no more prisons, hit delete. Abolition is the mission, these conditions, the receipt, no surrender, no retreat. Always fight until we free, till we free. I just need to breathe, why not let us be? I just want some peace, should be loving me. I just need to breathe, why not let us be? We just want some peace, followed up with equity. Black is beautiful, don't you forget. Not disputable, come with respect. My melanin, beautiful, what you expect. Black is beautiful, don't you forget, don't forget. On December 29th, 2020, 12-year-old Kalani passed away after being turned away from Valley Medical Center and receiving substandard care from North Benson Urgent Care, an associated facility. Today, we will be talking with her family about what happened that night and their journey to find justice. Please join me in a moment of silence for Kalani and all other children that have died at the hands of medical racism. Did you know that according to the Office of Minority Health, black children, regardless of their family income, reported higher rates of asthma? Black children are reportedly four times more likely to be hospitalized for asthma. And what's even more shocking is that black children are 10 times more likely to die of asthma than white children. Please think of these statistics as we listen to what happened to Kalani. We will be speaking with Christina, her mother, Peter, her cousin, Selena, her aunt, Francis, another aunt, and her brother, Marvin. Please stay tuned at the end of the episode and visit the online show notes at decolonizingscience.org in order to find out how you can support the Breathe for Kalani Foundation and continue to keep pressure on North Benson Urgent Medical Care. So just to start, um, I just want to clarify that we can stop at any time if you don't feel comfortable 
Um, is everybody okay with that? Yes. And I'm Christina Williams, Kalani's mom. Um, so what brings you to the podcast today? To let people know what happened to Kalani, what should have been prevented, why we should be fighting for her and um, the justice that we need, the answers we need, the accountability that we need, and the support that we need. And can you tell me some things about Kalani before we get into what happened? Kalani was a bright 12-year-old that was a seventh grader. Um, just very bright, um, big smile, energetic, athletic, fun-loving, kind, bright. She lit up a room every time she was comes in anywhere. She lit up a room. You can never forget Kalani's face because she's she was just a bright child. Um, very fun, loving, um, silly, loving, caring auntie, sibling that never judged. She never was a part of any kind of drama or whatnot. Um, she just was all around good child that still should be here. Um, and she did have asthma, but I mean, it was under control other than when she'd have her little allergy, I mean, you know, asthma attacks, which we still had under control. My name is Peter Duncan and I'm Christina's cousin. We got to spend a lot of time with Kalani and I didn't know anything about this podcast. I was just texting just now. So uh, pardon the uh, lack of polish, but uh, <clears throat> what I appreciate about Kalani was her, uh, you know, her nature was, uh, she was quiet. She was reserved uh, until she got to know you and she was shy, you know, even around, uh, you know, the adult relatives, she was shy. Uh, the innocence was, was still present and uh, very, uh, very introspect. And uh, hard to get a picture out of her. We spent some time with her uh, this summer. We, we were blessed to, uh, you know, go to uh, Snoqualmie Falls, you know, they got in the river. Uh, we went to Eastern Washington and, and uh, you know, took a couple of trips together this past summer, last summer, it's on the summer again now. Uh, and just, you know, I, I told my kids, uh, have a daughter that's just a couple of years older than her and, uh, just really, really innocent. The innocence was just there. And uh, I really appreciated that about her. And I'm Frances, I'm Christina's sister and I'm Kalani's auntie. Yeah, so Kalani was just, like my sister said, a ball of energy, full of life, you know? Um, to Peter's point, she was really shy, unless you really know her right? If you knew her, then you knew her and she knew you and she loved you. And so uh, she would spend a lot of time doing some silly things. You know, she always would make, always have us laughing, like totally just fun and full of energy all the time, right? And just a beautiful, bright, wonderful soul to be around. Um, she was, you know, I won't say this in front of the other kids, but you know, she's everybody's favorite, right? <laughs> so, um, you know, that's who Kalani was for us. Hi, yes, I'm Selena Irving, Christina's sister. 
Kalani's auntie. Um, I would also like to say, you know, about Kalani. Kalani, she was a kid that, you know, like, even though she was shy, she wasn't afraid to say what was on her mind or what was bothering her or what something about something uh, or anything. You know, she, she might have been shy, but she definitely wasn't shy in her words and letting you know how you feel or if you're making her feel a certain way. You know, so... Or if someone else was making, you know, like other kids feel a certain way. She definitely was a protector. You know, she she'll go to bat for you. For sure. Um, also, Kalani, she just, she loved every activity. You know, every activity that you think someone with asthma would, would not be able to do, she did it. You know, she went hiking, she went swimming, she went protesting, she went to places her mom didn't want her to go, to see the animals. She loves animals. She loved dogs, cats, outside, you know, like, it's just, she, everywhere we go, we're going to see Kalani. Everywhere, everywhere we go. If it's inside, it's outside, it's swimming, if it's that, like, it's nowhere in this rest of our lives we're going to be able to do, enjoy anything and not think about her. Um, for everybody that's listening, my name is Marvin Bennett. I am Kalani's uh, older brother. I'm one of uh, her older brothers. And um, yeah, Kalani, uh, man, she meant a lot to us. You know, she always kept everybody uh, humble and level-headed and peaceful. You know, she didn't like drama and, you know, chaotic uh, environments. It's like uh, she always had her own her own uh, opinion. She thought for herself. She did her own thing. She was um, man, a really bright individual, and it like it eats me up every day knowing that she's not here. You know, I'm uh, man, I honestly just I'm I I can't say much right now. I just man, I wish she was here. It just doesn't feel right. It's not fair that I have, you know, me and my siblings and my family and everybody have to go on with the rest of our lives, you know, knowing that we lost a sister at an early age due to something that could have been prevented. And then, you know, like the backlash that like we get in our faces, like the people that don't care about what we're standing for, what we're doing and all the other stuff. And, uh, and honestly, explain much. I miss my sister every day. My life has been changed dramatically. I, I barely know how to enjoy myself in life. And it's sad because um, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a really positive person and I'm open-minded. I do a lot of different stuff outside of my, um, my comfort zone. And it's been hard for me to like get back to being the person that I was. So I feel like I lost myself as well as I lost, you know, my sister. Or when I lost my sister, I lost myself, I feel like. My daughter, she had called me and said that she needed to go to the urgent care because usually um, if she gets on her um, nebulizer more than two to three times, it's time to go in so that we can go to urgent care and get some albuterol and some steroids and then go home. That's usually, I mean, how it played out every time she'd have to get on her nebulizer. It never was a problem. It never was nothing, anything like this. Um, so um, I happened to be moving something or whatnot for my grandkids and my daughter, my 24 year old said she would go and take her. So. Um, she came here and got her and my cousin and my other daughter while my son was here and he didn't know anything about anything. But I mean, um, they went down to the Renton Landing. They walked up there and they um, told him that they don't do respiratory here, but gave her a uh, directions to go to the Benson Urgent Care. 
they went there um, and they went up to the door and um, they were told it's going to be a wait um, for her to be seen for her asthma or whatnot. They said 30 minutes. So my daughter called me because um, she had to get permission or whatnot. I talked to them. And then um, after 30 minutes and she still wasn't seen, then I called, called in and asked them about, you know, what's the procedure? Because usually she'd have been in by now. They said first come, first serve. Um, they weren't. Um, they weren't doing it like that, but they will go out there and check on her. I talked to Kalani several times, talked to the kid, my daughter, my older daughter, and my daughter was like, mom, should we just go down to the um, ER or whatnot? And I said, by the time you guys get down there, it'll be, you know, time for her to be seen. So sure enough, um, about 30 more minutes went by and she was, she finally got the call, the little text message that you get telling you to come in or whatnot. Um, she went on back there and um, my daughter had to be very comfortable with Kalani going back into the room because she went to the bathroom while Kalani walked back there with the nurse. Um, I guess they bring in an old oxygen tank that, <laughs> um, that had no oxygen in it. So Kalani panicked and she was yelling for my daughter and my daughter came running in there and there was no air coming out of this tank. Um, you know, all the while for this hour that she was waiting, she's waiting patiently and breathing through it. And, you know, I mean, she really was scared and she really panicked and they weren't moving fast enough. They weren't, <laughs> it takes my daughter to say how they were and it really makes me mad, but mind you, they were taking their time. To clarify, she was actively having a asthma attack. They turned her away from the first main campus. They sent you to Benson and then still she had to wait an hour while having an asthma attack. Yes. She was breathing through, you know, she's, she's a trooper. She's breathing through, you know, what she needs to do. She's talking and whatnot and just sitting there waiting patiently while all the rest of these people were going in and out, in and out. She was one of the last people that they seen that day. Um, and that was like around six o'clock. So I get a call around, she goes in like at seven. I get a call around 7.20, yeah, that's, and my daughter is stating that Mia, I mean, that Kalani is, um, it's not, it's, it's serious. It's nothing like before, mom. Like they're not doing what they need to be doing and they're bringing oxygen tanks, which we've never ever in our life of going to Benson Urgent Care because we've been there over 20 times in her 12 years of going. We've been there. Um, have they ever brought an oxygen tank out? They've always had a nebulizer machine every time and it's always ready. They've had, I mean, it should have been ready as much time as they had. But um, they brought another tank in and the people, they did not know what they were doing. They were like untrained professionals. And my daughter was telling them, do this, do that, check her vitals. I mean, they, while the doctor is looking up something on a computer, I mean, it, it's just mind boggling what my daughter went through and she like her eyes start rolling back 
and like she finally got a little air, but at that time they were, they were really in panic mode now. And it took for another doctor to come from a different place in order to work on my daughter. Those doctors there, they were shocked. They were, I mean, my daughter's eyes start rolling up in the back of her head and she's screaming and yelling like she can't breathe. She can't. And all they were doing was standing around. And when they finally did get some kind of CPR going on, she had been without oxygen for quite some time. And they put my daughter out the room and whatnot. And then I, I was all the way by Franklin High School. I drove there when I got that call around 7.20. I pulled up there and they were just pushing my baby out, lifeless, no shirt, no, just, I mean, everything out, just, and still no um, breathing tube down her throat to where she could get a little air. I mean, it took me, I'd say 20 minutes to get there, driving the hundred. But at the end of the day, she still was back there getting worked on with no oxygen, none whatsoever. Then they had the nerve to bypass Valley Medical to get her stable and to get her airlifted. They drove her in an ambulance all the way to children's because they didn't want the responsibility, I think. But at the end of the day, my daughter said she heard the EMT saying they're taking her to Valley. And that doctor who seen her that day said, no, children's, they have better respiratory there. <laughs> Which she wasn't even stable at the time when she, when she got in the ambulance. So why would you bypass a emergency? I mean, a, a emergency hospital to drive her 30 minutes down the way, passing every Harborview and everybody else. You know, it's just unreal. And, and actually, when she did get to uh, Children's, they were wondering how, what happened here? What, you know, they were doing their life, they were doing life-saving measures there. I can honestly say they fought for my daughter, but it just was too late because she was without oxygen for over an hour and some. I mean, you can't do CPR and, and, and just pump a little. <sighs> and even the fact that they gave an oxygen tank is pretty strange because when people have asthma, it's not just that you can't breathe. You can't breathe because your breathing tube is inflamed. And so a nebulizer is needed to open up your breathing tubes so that you could even get that oxygen there. Um, and so to hear that they didn't use the nebulizer and then to hear that they didn't even try and put some sort of tube so that she could breathe is, is very strange, definitely. They were untrained professionals that worked there. They did not know what they were doing. And I can honestly say that because out of her 12 years, well, I'd say 10 because we realized she had asthma too. Um, never, never have they brought out an oxygen tank. Not one, but two. And on top of that, the only people who usually do that is the fire truck, the you know, when they come. Right. Never have they in the years that Kalani's had asthma ever pulled out an oxygen tank. And that's why I, I felt comfortable going with them. I know that they were going to take care of my baby. I know that um, 
you know, she was talking and she was just ready to get her on the machine and whatnot. So she had plans. She had plans. She had plans for her birthday. She had plans. She just was telling me all the stuff that she wanted to do that day um, before my daughter came and picked her up. I mean, it wasn't like she was in distress, you know, she was calm and she was breathing through what she had to do in order to, you know, get seen and, and get back there and get on the machine. <laughs> Why do you feel that it's important to share Kalani's story? And I'll open this up to anybody that wants to speak. Um, I guess just say your name before you jump in, but um why do you feel it's important to share her story? Other than the fact that obviously this is your daughter. Um, but why do you feel like these types of stories need to be spoken about more? Um, I feel like her story needs to get out there because Kalani should still be here. My daughter died of lack of oxygen to the brain. If there was any other reason why she died, I might be able to accept that. But in a supposedly urgent care facility and no oxygen, and she died of lack of oxygen, there is no way, no way. And I don't want any other child to have to go through this ever or any other person with respiratory issues. I just don't. These people killed my daughter and had no training at all. Um, I wanna get Kalani's story out here because it needs to be heard. This is a senseless death that could have been prevented if they had the proper training and equipment. I mean, what were they thinking? The other thing too, is that her life didn't seem prioritized. I mean, you got turned away from the first place and then upon entering the second place, you had to wait an hour. And this is a child that can't breathe. That seems very suspect to me. <laughs> Oh, definitely. And, and, you know, before I was saying, no, I don't think race took a place. I mean, played a role, but I really do think race played a role. Yeah. I do. And, and they can say whatever they want in her chart notes. When you check a person in, you see everything that comes up and they seen Kalani's chart notes. And even I called in and they told me that they were going to go out there and check. I just wish things were different. And I would have told my daughter to go down to the emergency. I just, I mean, we've been dealing with Vincent Urgent Care for over 10 years with Kalani. And never have we had this issue. Well, I can't say never because when she was four, something happened. I gave them the benefit of the doubt and she was still here. But um, we just, I mean, this, we put our trust in this facility and they let us down tremendously with no accountability at all, none. Yeah, well, there's a couple of things. So one of the things is that you know, you have a child that's asthmatic, you take them to a facility and they redirect you to another facility. At no point did either of those facilities come out to make sure that she was okay. They didn't come out to make sure that she could breathe and sustain till they could see her. None of that happened. There were so many opportunities to uh, change this, the narrative, right? And it just didn't happen. And so where are we with that, right? And um, what I was discussing with you previously was that, you know, when it comes to um, 
police brutality. You know, everyone's out and they're marching and that's great. But I think that a lot of people don't understand that we are marching for more than just police brutality. That's the thing that's in your face that people can see. What they don't see is the things that Black people go through every single day in all aspects of their life, whether that's healthcare, whether that's work, whether that's police brutality, uh, educational um, situations. There's so many dynamics to this thing that we're saying Black Lives Matter. It's not just police brutality, right? Um, and this is one of them, right? Healthcare. We're failed a lot and no one seems to know anything about it. We're focused on the shiny thing in the news, but at the end of the day, there's a lot more going on. And so I think that this um, is particularly important because this is an aspect um, of our experience that a lot, a lot of light hasn't been shown on yet, right? And so we really need to talk about it. And then we need people to understand what's happening in healthcare when it comes to um, black and brown bodies, to be quite honest, right? Um, and so, again, there were so many things that could have happened that didn't happen. The fact that you leave anyone sitting out there for that amount of time and you don't even come out and have the common decency or courtesy to check her vitals it is overwhelmingly uh, sad to me, right? That's the least you can do is walk out and check someone's vitals. Um, and to tell her mother, well, it's first come first serve and we'll get to her when we get to her basically is it's unacceptable. That should have never happened. If they would have came out and checked their vitals, they would have known that she was in distress and that she needed to be seen a lot quicker. I'm sorry, but if your neck hurts and there's a, a person that can't breathe, then your neck's going to just have to hurt for 10, 20 more minutes while we take care of someone that potentially has the ability to lose their life, which is exactly what happened. What I feel the reason Kalani's story needs to be told is because it was preventable. And so once it is shown that it was preventable and what happened, then the aim then becomes to prevent others from going through what Kalani went through senselessly and unnecessarily. So we need to get our story out so that other children similarly situated don't have to go through that. Hi, yes, I was going to say um, something to to that um, that my niece brought to my attention that Kalani noticed, you know, as she was waiting in the car for an hour that everyone was was being seen before her. She would ask, how come that person is being seen before me? You know, how come he is being seen before me? How come she you know, this was she kept saying that to me. And, and that just kept staying in my head that Kalani is looking at this. And she didn't say a color, you know, because she probably wasn't thinking of that either. You know, it's just a person in front of her. She's been there, you know, and it's like, well, that's where that's where we are. Like, what? How did anybody else like if it's first come, first serve, like they said, Kalani was there waiting for so long. Like, it's just so many holes and so much stuff. Like, we already know everything that Peter and Francis and my sister have said. But now it's like they, it's just so much that we have to unpack as people dealing with urgent cares and, and hospitals and, and just all this. And it's just a lot for a 12-year-old to notice hours before what what happened so you know it was very noticeable what they were doing is all i'm saying for her to have noticed that this is her mom i want to also note that um they did notice the colors and whatnot because my cousin gladys she even said they were 
I mean, all these people of different descent was coming in and whatnot. And Kalani was asking, why aren't they taking me, but they're taking everybody else? You know, why aren't they calling on me? But mind you, 30 minutes turned into an hour and it didn't matter even if it was over that. It's just a part of protocol, checking vitals. This is a person who can't breathe versus a person who's got a sprained ankle or a person who got a bad headache. I mean, everybody, she's, they're parked right in the front and seeing everybody just go in and out, in and out while they're sitting there waiting. And even after I called and talked to someone and that lady said she was coming out and she had this accent, I'll never forget. I called and that same lady with that same accent, the one that told me that she was going to check, she kept just apologizing. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Are you outside? No, I wasn't outside. My sister was outside because I called the closest person that was near there. And my sister got there right before I did, but it's, it, it was, mm -mm. and she was definitely the last person. Everybody else was out. They were all outside. They, it just was like, wow. Yeah. They're saying if she didn't look like she was in distress, then basically it wasn't urgent enough for them. And that's unacceptable. There's this uh, myth that black people can put up with exceptional pain and you know distress and it's like that is a myth that's a lie right they project that out to you but it's not the truth we bleed red blood like everyone else we feel like everyone else and our pain is real and it should be addressed as such at all times because we are human beings period it is unacceptable because what is their definition of what is enough distress for a black person to be in like, <laughs> you know, so, so even when we're not able to breathe, we have to still prove something that's disgusting. For people who are listening, we have to remember that because we're in the middle of a pandemic, right? Like, it's not like she's sitting in the waiting room. So she was sitting in a car. Nobody came out to the car from what you guys are saying to check on her, to take her vitals to give her some sort of mobile nebulizer, just to give her something to hold her over until she could get treatment. And you know what is really, really wild? When we were at Children's, her brother had uh, um, uh, like a attack as as we were getting the, you know, the news of that they were taking her off the machine. He got an attack and, you know, they brought out a nebulizer. They just wheeled it on out there to her. I mean, to him. And that like killed me. I mean, this is just like, what? So they have these mobile machines that they can just mo bring them around? Wow, and they don't have it at urgent care? A place is, you see urgent care bigger than you see the hospitals, unless you know where the hospital is. You see big, bright urgent cares all around. So urgent care should be changed if they can't fulfill people who, who, who needs urgent care urgently. If you got a finger or something broke, that's not that. I mean, that's urgent, but that's not that urgent, as Francis said. So it has to be some kind of change in the law where urgency is with this urgent care. First come, first serve law needs to get out of there. And we were saying that people who have asthma, some people don't come in there because when we were in the meeting with the people from the hospital, they were saying they go by looks. So if she wasn't falling out, if she wasn't couldn't like crawling on the ground. I guess she wasn't going to get any help. You had to be looking like you were, you had to be like, I don't know how you had to be because the lady in there was doing a, doing, <laughs> she was doing something in there and he didn't know how to react to that. He was, it was just, it was just wild. Their protocol needs to change. And no. <laughs> Whenever something happens related to police brutality, everybody is in the streets and making a lot of noise and when it comes to these types of racism that are extremely disturbing yet more sometimes subtle or more passive or just the news, the media hasn't been talking about Kalani. Um, people, you know, they don't, they don't seem to care as much. I can't tell you how many times I've organized marches and if it's around police brutality or around this 
big businessman in Seattle that nobody likes. Everybody shows up. Um, but for Kalani, I really need people to show up. This is why we're making this podcast, but it's not just about showing up on the 21st um, for her birthday. It's about con continuing to show up and to show up for all the children that have been neglected at the hands of medicine. And it is because of racism. Um, as the mother Christina shared, you know, at first you don't want to believe that that's, that that's what it is, but what, what else could it be at some point? You know, there seems to be this like systematic deprioritization of black lives. And I think, you know, when it comes to other forms of racism, people might focus on that. But when you go into the doctor's office, you are your most vulnerable. And the fact that even when black people are our most vulnerable, we're still neglected and not treated like a human should be treated. This is something that we need to start to talk about. This is part of the Black Lives Matter movement because it's literally called Black Lives Matter. It's about preserving Black life. It's not just about going around and obsessing over Black death. You know, it's about really trying to preserve Black life. It's, it's not a matter of if you say the N-word or if you look at me this way or whatever. It's deeper than that, right? So that's really what we want to bring attention to. Absolutely. We're all part of a community, right? And so we have to support each other. And community means everyone. That doesn't mean Black people only. That means everyone. We are all part of the same community. And someone needs to um, make sure that not only that we get the justice and the laws changed and the protocols changed as it relates to Kalani's particular case, but moving forward for everyone, we don't want to see this happen to anyone else's family, to their children, to their loved ones. No one deserves the treatment that Kalani got, especially not any child. She did not get what she was supposed to get, which was human kindness, compassion, understanding for the situation that she was in, that it's addressed and that she is properly cared for. That didn't happen in her situation, you know? So ultimately we would like to make sure that this doesn't happen again to anyone. I mean, I can't get my daughter back. That's number one. Um, but I am seeking justice as far as accountability for those doctors, nurses, um, CNAs or whoever they are that work in there, um, their accountability. I mean, they're just, they have no compassion on anything. Even the people who checked her in, like I want, I want, I want them all to be accountable. And it's not even just that clinic, it's the other clinic, the first clinic at the landing. I want them to be accountable too. And urgent is not urgent there. And I have to stress that it wasn't urgent because something just has to change. Um, Kalani should have been seen. She didn't get wheeled in, she got, <laughs> She walked in, probably smiling, finally going to get some care. Um, I just want justice for my daughter. I want people to know that Kalani, she was a bright child with asthma, with a bright future, and very smart and intelligent. Um, I want a Kalani law for this urgent care. I want that name to be gone because it's not urgent. Um, I want the people um, of UW Valley Medical, I want them to be accountable um, because when we had our meeting, they weren't accountable for anything. Nothing. They wanted the meeting with us, but they didn't 
have any answers for us. And that hurt it. That stabbed me in the heart like it was just unbearable to even be there and listen to these professionals and the directors talk and, and basically not have any answers. After 58 days of Kalani being gone, we had a meeting. So I want them to be accountable. I want them to accept that they were wrong. I want urgent to not be urgent there at Benson because, or the laws to be changed to where urgent is urgent. And people who need to be seen ahead of others, depending on their situation, be seen beforehand, you know? Um, It shouldn't take for Kalani to pass away for them to now open their doors to everybody and take them on in because we're out there protesting. It shouldn't take that. It hurts my heart to see that, even though, I mean, it's, I, I can't say I'm being selfish because I wish they would have done that for my daughter. I wish they would have taken her in like they're taking everyone else in now after Kalani passed away. I just want them to be accountable and things to change. And we're like hurting tremendously. My family is not the same. Not, and I repeat, not. We are all empty and hurting. And I just want to see a change because this, I mean, it's even getting worse now that we're protesting. But I definitely want to see a change. It's like we're the villains. And they did nothing wrong because we're out there. But um, I just want to see some accountability and um, to admit that they're wrong and to change things that, that aren't urgent because urgent is not an earache. Urgent is when you can't breathe. That's urgent. That's something that should be a priority. And that's something that I want to change. I want to see some kind of um, laws changed and whatnot. And I want to see some accountability and awareness um, in Kalani's name. I would say not much more would would need to be uh, added. That was a Excellent summary, uh, but everything begins with an admission. We can't get to any of those things without an admission. So we're not gonna relent. We're not gonna let up. We're not gonna slow down. If anything, we're gonna press the gas because every, you know, any nothing changes without, if nothing changes, nothing changes, right? So there must be an admission for anything to change. And so, uh, you know, Valley Medical, UW Medical System, they're going to have to make some tough choices. You know, they're going to have to hurt. It might hurt them in the pocket, you know, now or later. You know, maybe they're af- afraid that this is going to affect their bottom line. But we need an admission. We need an admission. And so uh, we're not going to give up until we get uh, the truth out there, you know, so that we can prevent needless loss of life. So the first thing is, is the urgent care, right? Urgent means urgent. That means emergency. That does not mean regular doctor's office. If we wanted to go to the regular doctor's office, that's where we would have taken her. We took her to the urgent care, which means that they should be urgently working on her situation and making sure that she's getting the care that she needs so that she can breathe. Um, So that's one of the first things. Either you're going to be an urgent care center or you need to take urgent out of your name. 
then you're just a care center, right? And then that way everyone knows that don't use urgent care. If you're having an emergency, then the emergency room is your only option, right? Uh, the second thing is the change in the laws. So uh, when she's speaking to that, we're talking about accountability, right? For uh, the people that you are servicing. And in you know, hindsight now, the people that you are killing, right? So we need some accountability there. They need to change their protocols. When my sisters uh, met with the hospital, they didn't have any answers um, as to what their protocol was. They couldn't even outline that, right? And the doctor that did try to outline it was uh, shut down. They wanted him to be quiet because there's two things. A lot of them didn't know what their protocol actually was. And the one that did is now stating that, but it counters what happened at that facility, um, which means that all of the people that were there obviously don't know what their own processes, right? What they need to do when they have these type of situations. Um, there's also the fact that, again, Kalani had asthma, right? So uh, my sister Selena and I were talking about something like a code purple, right? Um, we'd like to see that put into place. Anyone that comes into a facility, they have asthma, they can't breathe. We tell them it's code purple. They know exactly what to do, right? to help these individuals so that we don't have this unnecessary loss of life. So I think that those are probably the main factors, which is why we um, started the uh, Breathe for Kalani Foundation so that we can bring awareness um, to the masses, right? So that we can hold people accountable, make sure that the people that are servicing in these urgent care facilities or anywhere for that matter, as it relates to healthcare, that they know what they're doing, that they're getting the proper training that they need, and that they understand how to carry out their duties when they're in these emergency situations, so that there is not a, a, a needless loss of life uh, moving forward. And that's kind of what we want to do with that foundation. Their bottom line needs to be impacted, because at the end of the day, you can never bring my sister's daughter back. So your bottom line is the last thing that we're thinking about. Um, but we do need them to be accountable for her loss of life, right? Because at the end of the day, that's what we care about. And to my cousin's point, until they are accountable and accept responsibility, for killing my niece, we're going to beat the pavement. We're going to protest. We're going to stand up for her. We're going to fight for her. We're not going to go away. We're not going to sit quietly in the corner. None of those things are going to happen until they give us their, uh, until they state that they were wrong and change what's going on within their facilities, then we're going to continue to be vigilant uh, about making sure that we get what we need for Kalani and for anyone that comes after her that walks into one of their facilities and they need medical care. How can listeners best support the memory of Kalani? I would also like to say, because um, everyone has said everything, and I stand on everything that everyone else has said, but even after, even after whatever is going to be, the Brief for Kalani Foundation was still going to be there. It's still going to be in place. It's still going to be implemented when we're dead and gone as well. That's what we want. We want this to stay. Right? And that's like forever. Right? This law is forever about Kalani. Like when we get justice or whatever it is they say we're gonna get, no, this it, it's, it's never gonna be the same. And it's never gonna be the same because it can still happen. Just like people fight for things and then when they get a little answer, we never hear nothing else about it. Okay, we never hear nothing else about it. We don't, we don't even know if that law is in play anymore. 
we don't we don't know anything you know but we want this to live long like when we say long live kalani we want the law to live just as long as what what we mean by that so right now the website is coming along but right we have the foundation on facebook we have the foundation on ig um everything's on social media right now until we get the right person to do the um web page we've had a few people and a you know, some people is trying to charge all type of crazy, you know, you know, you know, so we're going to narrow down and, and get to that. But um, my nephew brings up a good point, and I just want to touch on it really quick before we end, which is that the backlash, right? So we're out protesting for my niece. You know, my sister is very diligent about it. She's on it she's adamant about it, right? So she's gonna make it happen. And, you know, my uh, nieces and nephews get out and go protest with her and um, and the family and whoever can be there at that time, right? And they've gotten a lot of positive um, energy and support, but there is also people out there that really don't care uh, about, what happened to my niece? They feel like we are infringing on their rights because we're protesting for her life. And it's insane to me that anyone could feel like protesting for the death of a child that didn't have to happen is a problem. I don't understand that. Why are you angry because we're protesting to make change to a healthcare system that is not helping everyone and is not accountable for um, the lives and the people that they service. And so to have that negative reaction with different individuals is overwhelming. You're already dealing with a lot. My sister's already dealing with her daughter um, gone and then of course, all of her sisters and brothers, and then to have that negative energy come into play and someone say, well, that life doesn't matter. Who are you to tell us that she doesn't matter? She absolutely matters. And we're not going to stop telling you that she matters. Right. And so I just, I don't understand the, the negative feedback or energy from people that just don't want to really hear or deal with reality. And the reality is that a young child went into a facility and didn't walk out because they didn't have their protocols in place because they were negligent, because they didn't understand what they needed to do. Um, we didn't even go into the fact that the people that were working with her initially were pushed aside by a doctor that was like, what are you doing? She's dying, right? Basically. And he had to come in and take over. We have not talked, there's so much more to the story, right? Um, and we could probably talk for hours, but you know, at the end of the day, her life does matter. And we're not gonna stop saying that it matters. And all of these people that are out here that don't want us protesting, they're, they're tired of hearing Black people complain about what's going on in their communities. That's your problem. Because at the end of the day, we're not going to let it rest until we get what she deserves. Period. I have something else to add to that. Um, when we're out there protesting for my daughter, um, they call the Renton Police Department every time and maybe, I mean, at least once, but mind you, it's probably two or three times that they call them one day that we're out there protesting. And what hurts me the most is they said they feel threatened. We haven't came and 
broke any windows. We haven't came and vandalized anything. We haven't came. We just speak our mind. And we can do a lot more than that, but we're not. We're just trying to get our point across because you guys have not, and I repeat, have not been accountable for anything. They haven't reached out to me for nothing besides the director uh, meeting. And mind you, that was full of it. That was nothing. They wanted to see what we knew. They wanted to get something off of what we were saying. They didn't want to give, they know their protocol. They know that they, they know their protocol, but mind you, it's neither here nor there. They want to call the police on us every time. They want to trespass us each by one by one by one. They want to trespass us off their property. And they actually hire the police there while they're working during their working hours, their business hours. They hire the police department to come in to their facility and sit in there so that the police can push us off of their property one by one. They said this or that. I mean, what, which, what can we say and what can't we say? You know, I mean, at the end of the day, we're not doing anything, but they call us a threat. Then I can just imagine. And the, and the Renton Police Department is on their side. I mean, there, I can honestly say there's a couple officers that are, that can see beyond that. And they keep telling us to do what we're doing, but oh no, even the sheriff came, the sheriff came up to me and said, don't you have a lawsuit? So what is this going to help? I don't give two, I don't care nothing about any money. I would give my life to have my daughter's life back. She was only 12 years old. So that right there was an insult to injury. And mind you, this is how we're being treated. Police are there every day now because of us protesting and they're scared. But just imagine when my daughter went in there and how scared she was when she didn't get any air. It hurts, it hurts, it hurts. This definitely was not easy um, and I think that this will be a, a good way for a lot of people to find out about this and I'm gonna continue to do whatever I can to get the word out there um, and so I just really hope that everybody that listens to this decides to show up not just on April 21st but also in the future as the family continues to keep pressure on Benson and I hope that people understand that Black Lives Matter is also about Black children um, and preserving Black life and I hope that this story kind of reminds everybody about how important talking about these things truly are and medical negligence really is and the fact that, like we mentioned before, police brutality is not the only aspect of Black Lives Matter. Um, and there are really, really disturbing ways in which Black people are being harmed by our society that people aren't talking about. So whatever your background is, whatever your resources are, please try to spread the word and support Kalani's family. Um, thank you guys for being a part of this. Free, free, 
is not to be your weekly standalone acknowledgement of racism. Put in the effort to continue your education based off of what you learn in these episodes. Follow at DecolonizingSci on Instagram and Twitter. Email DecolonizingSci at gmail.com if you're interested in speaking on the podcast or making recommendations for future episodes. Decolonizing Science is written and produced entirely by me, so please Venmo or Cash App Decolonizing Science to make future episodes and promotion possible. If someone you know is struggling with depression or thoughts of suicide, please visit suicidepreventionlifeline.org or call 1-800-273-8255.